0: This is the Game Time Guru Podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. Shane Larson is my name, host of the show. Six years running and uh, super excited to be here with you guys. You know, just this week of the time of this recording, we just hit 179 countries. We are literally worldwide. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in over the last six years as we've cr- created this show and continue to to expand it just organically through the the guests that we've had and the listeners that we've had and everything. So just want to say thank you for that. And I just want to remind you guys as well, that if you check the link here in the description, you'll see a link here for a software called ClickFunnels. If you are an entrepreneur and you want to utilize a platform to help you gain leads for your business and put courses online, go check out the link. I can get you a discount for a year for like $2,000 for a year subscription to ClickFunnels. Super, super good deal. So check the link there if you want to get a discounted rate at an annual rate, one that you probably won't ever see. I got a link here in the description. But first and foremost, I just want to say, you know, Welcome to our, you know, to our guests. Welcome to the show. I, I've got Darnell Leslie, former professional football player, and uh now he's into the business world, entrepreneurial space. He's uh into real estate from what I see and everything. So we're gonna learn about we're gonna learn about his his whole entire you know career here in just a second. I'll let him kind of chat with us about it. But uh Darnell, I just want to say thanks for joining the show, man. I'm excited to have you.
1: Thanks, James. Pleasure to be on, man, and just talk football and, and everything real life. I'm all for it. And I appreciate the platform and giving me an opportunity to speak to you guys.
0: Absolutely, man. You know what's crazy is like a lot of my guests, sometimes, like, I'm a consumer of like social media myself. Like, I like to follow certain people and just like that's I, I, I you know, I throw away some time just c- consuming social media because I enjoy like entertainment. Well, here's the deal I came across just like some other people I've had before, but Darnell's channel on TikTok. I was like, dude, I was listening to some of your stories. And something caught my attention. It was in my For You page. And I was like, this is rad. Like, uh, this guy has stories that I think a lot of people should hear. I wish more people her- would hear these stories. So you could kind of see what it's like to really be a professional football player. Um, that's not necessarily the top name in the league, right? And you get to kind of see what the real scenes are behind everything. You know, like what it what it's like to the grind that really that it really requires. So that's why I was like, dude, I love this guy. I love the the stories that he tells, and I'm excited now now that I can have you on the show. So, Darnell, I want to actually rewind the clock a little bit. You know, we said you were a professional football player, but before. That ever happened, right? Let's talk about your sports background as a kid. Like, obviously, you got to the professional level, but at what point did you pick up a football and uh, really start taking football seriously?
1: Yeah, so man, I was about maybe five or six years old when I put on my first pair of shoulder pads, right? um For South Germantown Panthers out in Germantown, Maryland, um, it was my first year playing, and honestly, my mom she didn't want me to play, but I brought home like this little form. From my elementary school, you know, sign off as a waiver. We get your kid in football, get him in shape, blah, blah, blah. get him around sports, get him active, all that good stuff. So I brought home to my mom. She wasn't for it. My dad was all for it. He was gung ho. So he took me, signed me up for football that very next weekend. And uh, from there, I just got going. So I played Little League, obviously, all throughout elementary school. Broke my wrist in the fifth grade, so I didn't go back to playing football until about like seventh or eighth grade mom. She was not happy. Yeah, she, man. I told you so. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she uh, she got her way for about two years when I was growing up and then um, ninth grade year, dropped right back into JV football and just ran with it from there. Had a good career in, co- in high school, decent career in, uh, in college and then had an opportunity to follow my dreams and play professionally for a little bit in the NFL.
0: Well, let's hear about that too. So, I mean, it's, yeah, mom knows best. That's like what well, you probably got hurt when you were literally and you're like, God oh, dang it, that's the end of that one. Because yeah, if mom didn't, if she was already hesitant and that, that happens and you're like, ah, oh, shoot, we're going to have, it's going to be a while before we can fix that one. Mm-hmm. Um, That's funny though. So, you know, going to college though, we I want to know the, the biggest transition from high school to college football for you. Like where did you play college and what was the biggest transition for you going from high school to the next level? Because sometimes people say that, it's the athletics, it's the academics. Sometimes it's like the actual sport itself is a big transition. Sometimes it's the academic side that's the transition for college. I want to know from your perspective, what was the biggest transition going from high school to college?
1: Man, it was, Shane, it was honestly both. It was academic and it was uh, athletic, right? So obviously when you're in high school, you're a little to. You're you you're pampered, right? Your teachers and your parents, they want to make sure you're you comfortable, you have the best, everything going on for you to make sure your, your, your transition is the best, Right. So high school football is high school football. Anybody can play the game, anybody can put on a uniform and go out and hit somebody. Obviously, when you get to college, guys are a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger. They have more of a football IQ, they understand the game in and out. They've they've also been playing since they were 6 years old and not just the last 2 years in high school, right? So, athletic-wise, um you're dealing with a different beast. Right? You're dealing with more physical men at that point. Um and you could be 18 years old, you could be 17 years old going into college playing football and you're playing with a senior who's 22 right i was 22 when i graduated and we had 17 year olds on our team so that five year gap is like a big shift in your maturity as a man so that aspect is very huge for a lot of people transitioning from high school to college but then even on the academic side right like for me i wasn't an academic stud i got through college and i graduated with a degree and i'm grateful to god that i was able to do that um if it wasn't for football i wouldn't be able to do that myself. But um academically it's 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 rigor right it's a whole full-time job just being a student athlete in college because you have to manage your course load you have to manage study hall you have to manage going to treatment and training you have to manage going to the weight room there's so many things you have to to manage as a student athlete in general to where just the academics alone doesn't play a part it's really the whole package of being who you are and the student athlete at that that kind of makes the difference between high school and college
0: you know it's interesting a couple things i want to unbox there um First, you mentioned like the 22 year olds compared to 17 year olds. You know, there's a five year gap. I was 17 when I graduated high school. I was a young one. And what's interesting to me is obviously that was a while ago. I'm 34 now, but it's. It's so wild. Even to this day, I still coach high school like athletes for basketball and stuff. And when I go and I, I hoop with the guys, I got a dad bod now. I got three kids and a wife. You know, like it's it's you know I'm still I'm still lifting and stuff, but I'm I'm not anywhere where I once was. And but it's funny because I always like I can still move these kids around. And they could probably lift a lot more than me just because they're athletic. But I move them around, and it's interesting because I used to say that when I got out of high school, we'd go hoop with a lot of the guys at Boise State University because that's where I went to college. And those guys like. They were only like three or four years older than me, but I just remember like how much bigger and stronger they were, and they didn't look it. I was like, "Nah, dude, I'm a strong athlete. I'm a young kid. I, nah, dude, like those athletes. There's something to being in school for a little while, and your body naturally grows and everything. So I think that would that alone. I think people overlook. So if you're an athlete, listen to this right now. I know there's a ton of young athletes and parents that listen to the show. You know, make 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 sure that your kids understand. There's a difference there from a physicality standpoint, just from the athletic side of things. The other thing I wanted to unbox is how you were mentioning all the all the things. Um, what's interesting is I didn't have the experience in college like you did, right? I didn't go, like I was I boxed for Boise State University. And we had a club team. Yeah, granted everyone's like, Oh, it was a club sport. Well, we did practice and we did fight other schools and stuff, so it was kind of cool, but we had to pay for our own stuff and and whatnot. So I got a little taste of what it was like at the college level in the sense of going to school and then still being able to train and all that stuff. And it just, that alone was hard. You had to keep your grades up. You still had standards. You had to abide by to be able to be eligible to fight and represent the club. Right. So we still understood it to that point, but it's nowhere to the extent from what you guys have to experience. And what I remember Darnell was just the project management of it all. Like it was like you said, you were, you go to school, you have to do this. You got training, you got practices. Like there's very little time to like, mess around you're not going to be like everybody wants to go dick around in college and have a good time well you can do that but you're going to be hurting and it might end up being detrimental to you in your career if you're not like you know careful with it so i want it can be a little bit uh overwhelming is the word i would say for some athletes if they're listening to this like oh well man what if they're not good at school right they they struggle in high school and they're trying to keep their grades up so they can maybe go to the next level they're good enough athletes but i keep the grades up but now they're hearing this and they're like well shoot am i even gonna be able to make it If you were to talk to those guys right now, those guys and girls right now, what would one piece of advice be for you to kind of simplify it so that they know like, okay, yeah, it can be overwhelming, but what's one thing that can help them realize how to package it all together?
1: Yeah. I mean, so to hit on your first point, right, there's a a, a real thing called grown man strength. Yeah. (laughs) That first point, there's it's grown man strength is real. Like to this day, my dad is maybe like 64, 65. I will never try him.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, he'll I mean, take you.
1: <laughs> I would never try my dad simply because he's been through so much shit. And I don't know if I can customize my dad, but no, you're good, right? Much, man. Like, just when you and obviously, when you're a younger kid coming from 17 to 22, that's your your peak, right? You're, you're the strongest you'll ever probably be, the most athletic, blah, blah, blah. And that gap is huge. But even like you mentioned, you're 34, practicing against your, your, your kids in high school, you'll be able to move them all day around, dude. It <laughs> doesn't even matter. Like, Romance strength is real. But I mean, to your other point about, um, this is what it would take to, to get ready as like a, a kind of student athlete and how to prepare and brace yourself. Um, the one thing I would say, like, it, it's worth it. If you're going to college and you have an opportunity to play ball, whatever your sport is, if it's swimming, tennis, whatever the case is, and you have an opportunity to go to that next level and continue your dream and your passion and get paid to do it and get a degree to do that on top of that, it's worth it. So even if the hours are growing, even if you know you got to stay up till 1 a.m. and you got practice at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. the next morning because you have study hall dining hall, you've got mandatory treatment, all these other things that are built into being a student athlete. It's all worth it, right? I would do everything I did in college for five years all over again in a heartbeat, not just because I got to play my sport, not just because I was around my friends, but because of the rigor and the intangibles that it put in me as a person, as a man, right? Like you mentioned before, like it's, it's hard. Like the schedule is hard when you wake up and you're physically tired, mentally tired, and you have to go work out. You have to go box. You have to go train. You have to do cardio. You have to go to treatment. That shit is hard, but that builds you and your grit and your your personality as a person. So that made you a better man and it made me a better man. and It'll make anybody a better woman or man down the line. Just by going through that process and understanding being in difficult, uncomfortable situations will help you grow and nurture as a person. A lot of people, they're afraid of doing that type of stuff because they see it on the outside like, okay, I got to be committed and and do all this hard shit and and, and be out of my comfort zone. That's what grows you and grooms you into who you're going to be down the line, 20, 30, 40 years down the line. And that inevitably is what you pass on to your children and generations down the line as well. So it's kind of it's thinking very high level and that's kind of hard to do at a high school age, just because a lot of high school kids are service level. I want to just be on social media. I want to have the most pictures from my Instagram. I want to, you know, have the best looking uniform, not F all that. What are you getting from that program you're with? If they're not instilling into you manhood and womanhood to make you a better person to person out of your school and out of your sport, when that sport is said and done, the whole process was void. And you'll see a lot of coaches, the best coaches that I've had, they impacted me as a man, right? They've impacted me in ways off the field that are going to leave me, you know, way better than I was had I not played the sport. So, I mean, to answer your question again, man, it's it's high level. You got to think outside of the box of what you can just play or doing at that school with the sport. What can that sport give you? What can the intangibles about being in that brotherhood, that sisterhood, that discipline, that grit, that rigor, that, that sort of time management schedule? What can that get you as a person? And that's how you kind of got to approach that going into college.
0: I love that. I love all of that. I hope everybody who's listening takes note of everything you just said. And if you didn't catch it all, rewind it and listen to what Darnell just said, because that's so it's so important to understand that. I always say it to the kids that I coach. And sometimes like you said, like, I think they just, they think surface level, some of them get it. And then some of them don't. Um, I'll say, Hey dude, sports, it's like, it's ups and downs, right? It's a heartbeat and that's good. It's good. You got peaks and valleys because a flat line, if you're, if you're stagnant that in, in, in the medical industry, that's, that's death. You don't want to be flat line. So you need the heartbeat to go like that, but it does teach you a lot of life skills. It's going to teach you like life sucks. Sometimes life is good. Sometimes it's it's going to go like this in waves. And it's just how you respond to those things to get yourself back up. And I'll explain that to them and explain like experiences, but, but experiences that I've had, but I don't think they fully understand it. Like, but I think that's the benefit of like being an athlete and learning from, the coaches that you have and the teammates that you have, and just being around the grind of being a student at like all those things, it prepares you so much for the future. Um, even in marriage for crying out loud, just to ask my wife and I like, obviously like there's things that happen in marriages. You got to go through ups and downs. And I, I, it sounds corny and really it, people are gonna be like, you're ridiculous, but sports have taught me a lot of stuff that I've implemented into my marriage. That's just the reality of the situation. So, um, it's so true. So that's super awesome, man. I, um, uh, I want to ask you about your college career real quick. You mentioned coaches and people who have um, molded you and everything. You know, when you were playing college football, did you have a coach that maybe was a as a, an amazing mentor for you, somebody that st- sticks out, whether it was a head coach or an you know, assistant of some sort? Is there anybody who stood out to you during your college career?
1: Um, Coaching-wise, I respect all my coaches pretty much on the same level in terms of a relationship and being closer with one than the other. Um, I... I can't say I was more close than one coach that had more of an impact on me per se. But I do. We all have our favorite coaches. Right. So yeah. in college, I'm going to shout out Coach Gallo. Right. He was the tight ends coach. And at that time he was like our run coordinator or something like that. But um, for me, I, I get a lot of my energy and my my passion while I'm playing ball from the people around me my teammates the fans right and although you shouldn't buy into the crowd that shit helps man if your fans are into the game and your coaching staff and your teammates are all riled up and hyped up you have no choice but to have a good game and be hyped up and bring that energy so for me you know meshing with coach gallo and just the personality that he had with being that upbeat younger coach who was always in your face always getting you hyped up chest mopping you you know patting you on your back you know when whenever you, whenever you make a good play he was on offense too right so i played defense my entire career and to have an offensive coach prowl for you as much as a defensive coach is, that made an impact on me because I, I knew when the game was getting tight, I could see Coach Gallo getting me right on the sideline. He's yelling at me, don't oh, know, let's go make this play. Stuff like that, right? So just small things like that made, made my relationship with him a little bit special. So, uh, again, I don't have any no, – no favoritism, but he was one of the coaches that I look to uh, to definitely bring my energy up and get me to, to have a good game.
0: That's awesome, man. That's super cool. Um, as we wrap up, like your college experience, like do you have a favorite memory in college football? That that whether it be a game or a situation in a game or whatever, like that you uh, that that you probably won't ever forget. Because there's a lot of those like memories, ups and downs. That could have been a bad thing too. Is there any kind of memory from college football that stands out to you?
1: Yeah, man. So, um, my freshman year. So I w- I did five years at Monmouth University. Graduated back in 2017 and played since 2012, so five years, right? My first my freshman year. I registered it and I just traveled with the team. I was one of the only freshmen that traveled with the team. So I didn't really have time to go out on Friday, Saturday nights cause I was on the road. Um, but for me, the um, I'm trying to think. So hmm. the one experience for me was when I actually got to start it was my sophomore year, registered freshman year, right? It was a game against Duquesne. It was at home at Monmouth University. Uh, my first first game starting first game of the season. And it might've been like first or second half. I'm not sure exactly when in the game, but I had a strip sack recovery, right? So if anybody on watching this knows defense and knows defensive line, a strip sack formal recovery is probably one of the best plays you can make outside of a pick six as a D-lineman. right? So I sacked the quarterback, stripped him of the ball, recovered the ball and got tackled, right? So I made that whole play was essentially my play to make. So for me, that was a play that stood out for me because from then, that just boosted my confidence. And you know, when you're in the groove, you're in a good rhythm and you got your flow and your, your speed going, going along through the game, it just carries you through. So for me, that kind of brought my entire career, you know, at a good pace just because I understood at that point, I'm ready for college football. I'm ready to make the plays, I'm ready to be an impact player, I'm ready to be a starter, I'm ready to be a leader on this team. And that play alone kind of solidified that mentality and thought process for me.
0: Is there any professional athletes that you looked up to in your position, um, like a Micah Parsons nowadays for kids? That they're looking up to Micah Parsons if they're a outside linebacker, defensive end type position or anything like that. Did you have a, a favorite player that you always looked up to?
1: Yeah, so I had I had a few. Like I I was big on um just studying games. So like I would always watch the NFL and just envision myself playing defensive end, outside linebacker, as somebody playing in the league. And one of the players I always found myself trying to model my game after was Vaughn Miller. Back in 2017, Vaughn was back with the um, – wasn't the Broncos? It was, it was the Broncos. He had just gotten to the Broncos, and he was playing against the, um, the Panthers in that Super Bowl. And that whole season I was like, dude, this man is unreal, and I need to be just like him and model my game just like him when I get to the next level or even while I'm in college, right? Speed kills, and he has speed. He's got the agility. He's got the athletic ability. He's got the physicality. So for me, Von Miller was definitely the guy that I looked up to in the current state. But then obviously going back, you know, into the past, Lawrence Taylor Taylor was always a great, right? He's the GOAT. Um, And then nowadays, like looking at Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald had just gotten to the league right before I graduated. So looking at Aaron Donald as well. So there's always the obvious greats, right? So for me, it was like looking at past, present and future. And I'm just trying to model my game that way.
0: Yo, that's wild. All those names are great ones. Uh, freaking formula in that Super Bowl against the Panthers, I remember like everybody, the, the Panthers were favored because Newton was having himself like the best year of his life. And I remember specifically, you know, I was watching film for that and just like trying to break stuff down before the season or before the games happened. And, you know, it was like a week leading up to it. And I said, you know, if they can get to him, Newton struggles when when he, he doesn't just get to sit in the pocket and throw. Like he struggles when he's under pressure. He was like a 57% completion percentage when he was under pressure. And so, I remember like that whole thing, and then just Denver's defense, led by Miller, was just all over him. Like it was all night long. It, they were living in the backfield. So that's yep. a good one. Um, now those are and Aaron Donald. Let's let's talk about him for a second, dude. I did not realize until last year Super Bowl happens or whatever. Aaron Donald takes his shirt off during the parade or whatever. That dude, everyone thought he was like this fat guy, right? No, dude's <laughs> freaking
1: yoked, dude. So no, he's. Like- 290 with a six pack. It's yeah,
0: <laughs> I had no idea my whole life watching him. I had no idea. I thought he was some fat dude, defensive lineman, nose tackle, whatever. And no, dude, that dude is yoked. Like yeah. yoked.
1: Um, the is, that's, that's the common misconception to a lot amongst football players. Like even interior, like O-line D lineman, those dudes aren't fat and out of shape. Like when I was in Dallas, my rookie year, dude, Shane, I, I was in the locker room one day, I swear to you not. And, uh, Tyron Smith walked by their starting left tackle. This dude walked by bro and his traps were to his ears. Like I'm not, no exaggeration chat to his ears. He had a nice little four pack. Like I'm, he could, he could have been like a linebacker if he really wanted to. So when you see those type of guys, when you get to that next level, like we just talked about going from high school to college, college to the NFL is probably a way even bigger jump because those guys have been in the league for 10 years at that time. And they're yoked. They know exactly how to treat their body, they're doing the maintenance, doing all the small things right to keep their body in pristine condition. So, like, that's a misconception. Like, tackles and guards in the NFL, majority of them are not fat and sloppy, they're all like cut up, chiseled, got their diet down right, eating organic, and stuff like that. So, that, that was an eye opener for me, man. Oh. I might have lost you for a second there. Uh Oh, might have some technical difficulties.
0: Yeah, hold on, hold on.
1: I can hear you now. I can hear you.
0: Okay, can you can you see me now?
1: I can see you. Yep. Can you see me?
0: Okay. Yeah, a couple technical difficulties. This happens when we're streaming. It might happen again. We'll see. But when the Cowboys drafted uh, Tyron Smith back in I think it was 2010 when we got him I remember being so happy And they talked about his hand size it was just like this massive hand size of that dude so like he's a he's a monstrous human being but uh I want to you actually like perfectly transitioned into the next com- piece of this conversation which is your professional career because like that's the biggest piece that's what kind of drew me to your channel and like watching your content was just hearing your your professional experience one you had the opportunity to go to to camp in Dallas and then um, you had an opportunity to go to the Steelers and then you had an opportunity and you, you, I think it was the, the CFL, the AAF, you had the XFL. I mean, that's, oh. you're like the perfect person to talk to. You're the one I've always wanted to talk to about all this stuff, because I don't really get to talk to a ton of people who have had. One second. It keeps glitching out. Can you see me now?
1: Uh, yep. I can see you. You're good. Yep.
0: Okay. Um, okay, so, my buddy, he went to high school with me. He goes to mm-hmm. Idaho State University, a small school. Mm-hmm. He was an awesome player there, played safety there, did a really good job. He gets an invite to the San Diego Chargers at the time, their mm-hmm. mini camp, a rookie mini camp. and he he told us years later um his experience there because, he was a stud in uh, the Big Sky Conference for football, but obviously there's levels to football, so it's not always the same thing. He told us when he got to the the Chargers rookie mini camp, there were linemen, and these aren't even like their starting linemen; these are the other guys that are at the rookie mini camps. He said there are linemen that are six foot six, three hundred plus pound dudes that are pulling, and he's like standing up on a run as a safety trying to come up to the the box, and he goes there. He specifically told me, Darnell, there is no reason human beings that are that big should be able to run that fast. Like he was talking about how big these dudes were and they weren't even there. These, these aren't even the starting guys, but they're dudes who are coming from various colleges from across the country. So that's why when you were saying that, it kind of, it reminded me of that story when you got to the, the camp for Dallas and now you have this opportunity to play in the NFL. What was your mindset like? Because a lot of guys go in there and they know that they're probably auditioning for another team. The realistic point of it, the business side of it, depending on the position in which you're you're playing. Um, but what was your mindset going into your very first NFL camp?
1: Oh man, I was very immature, man. So obviously coming out of college, you're thinking, oh, I'm the big fish, right? In a little pond. I'm I'm that guy. I can do whatever I want to do. Right. So going into going to into camp, it wasn't any cockiness, but it was confidence. Like, yeah, I got this. This is this is easy. This is I've done football my whole life. This is nothing. I got to camp and I got my ass handed to me a few times by old linemen and offensive players, just getting beat on one on ones, getting beat, you know, on pass rush drills, getting beat and run drills, stuff like that. So, you know, going into camp, my mindset, um, it was way different than what it had, what it was about a week after being in camp, for sure. Um, going into camp, you know, I heard from my agents the same thing. You know, you're not auditioning for this one team, there's 31 other teams that want you out there. Right. So you just got to go out there and put the best film and best foot forward each and every practice, because these teams do look at each and every snap that you take on the field, practice or game wise. So just going into camp, my mindset was very, um, very naive. And I, I didn't really understand the magnitude of what I was getting into until I got to Dallas. I had done a. Um, a rookie day at Tampa previously, so like that was like to me, my welcome to the NFL. Right. And then at that point, that's when it changed. When I got to Dallas, my mindset was already like, all right, it's go time. Like, there's no playing around. You don't know shit. You're a young young kid in the league. You need to be here and learn because you got your ass handed to you in, in Tampa Bay. So now this is time for you to really buckle up and make a name for yourself. Um, so after that experience with Tampa Bay, when I got to Dallas, it was all, I was a sponge. I was talking to the different leaders on the team, Anthony Hitchens, um, Dave Wilson, all the other older guys and linebackers that were around me, just trying to figure out. You know what did they do? What were they? What, what's their morning routine like before they go out on the field? What are their rituals like? How do they prepare? How do they, you know, go into the film and things like that? So my mindset definitely changed um, after being in Tampa Bay for that that one week mini camp.
0: It's very interesting, man. It's very interesting. That's it's so crazy how many amazing athletes are out there, um, but how few of them we actually get to see at the next level, just because there are so many. Like there's only so many roster spots in the in the, in the NFL and certain positions. You know, you you might be a stud in college, but there might not be enough openings in the positions for that for that particular position. It, it just all depends. You know, it's just crazy to hear that. Like, and it's cool. What was the best advice you got in regards to like morning routines and so forth? What would you say like was one of the things that you learned that maybe you kept with you for the duration of your professional career?
1: Just make one, right? So I I remember talking to Anthony Hitchens about this, and he was like, "Dude, like you're a young <clears> kid." You don't know anything about the NFL, and you're, it's that's fair. This is new to you. What you need to do is figure out what process and flow of events works best for you. What makes you feel the best mentally, spiritually, emotionally, before you step out on that field so you don't worry about anything. You can just play football as you know best, right? So whether that's waking up two hours earlier than you used to when you were back home, just to go stretch and roll out and get on the foam roller and use the, the TheraGun and get in the jacuzzi at the hotel, and then you get on the bus and go to the stadium, do that. If that's eating two bowls of oatmeal three hours before practice and getting stretched out by the the athletic trainer before you get on the field, do that. If that's running striders before practice on the field before anybody gets out there, then do that. But find your routine, find your flow. What makes you feel good as a player, so you don't have to worry about the outside noise when you step on that field between practices.
0: Oh, that's a golden nugget. I would encourage all the athletes and parents take note of that as well. Make one. If you don't have one, make one. But do what you do. What makes you feel good. Yeah. Uh, Darnell, I got a question for you. I'm not sure what information can be provided, but a lot of people want to know this. And that's why I wrote it down when I was telling some people who I was going to be interviewing. They're like, well, could you ask them this? You know, pay is a big deal. Like there's a reason some athletes have to stop the grind, um, because they're trying so hard to live the dream, but eventually you got to pay bills. Right. And like when you go to a rookie mini camp and you're going to these camps and stuff, do you get paid for any of that? Or do you only get paid if you make a roster spot? Because that's a lot of weeks, um, I mean, that's a lot of time. It can be a month, two months of going through stuff without any guarantees. So can you explain any of that? You don't have to necessarily give numbers, but do they pay you guys?
1: Yeah, I'll get, I'll get transparent from what I can remember, right. This was back in 2018, uh, 2017 for me, but, um, your rookie mini camp, you will get paid. Um, it'll be a per diem. So depending on the team, I don't think there's a set amount as to what the NFL has to give you, but every team is a little bit different. So when I was in, um, Tampa Bay for that first week, I had maybe gotten like $500 for that week or something like that. Again, you got to keep in mind, they're paying for housing, commute to them from the hotel, they're paying for food, they're paying for any maintenance on your body, massages, things like that. So that $500 $500 is just maintenance. That's play money, really. It's money to show you, look, this is a job. We're paying you for your job. You're not in college. This is real life stuff. When I got to to the Cowboys in Dallas, um, they obviously are one of the more lucrative teams in the league. They're worth like at that time they're like four or $5 billion or something crazy like that. They had just built their star. So they had a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of uh, media presence and things like that. So everybody was throwing money at Dallas. Uh, when I got to Dallas, we were getting, it was like 1100 a week or something like that. While I was there throughout the training camp and, and mini camp period. So when you're going through um, mini camp, right. With the team and OTAs, I got 1100 a week. But then when I when we went to Oxford, California during the preseason, that amount changed to like $750 a week or something like that after taxes because the NFL at that point comes in and says you can only pay your guys the standard preseason rate, right? And so I guess that determines and it's, it's based on the year and things of that nature. But when you're in preseason minicamp, your team can pay whatever they want to. They have to just give you some sort of payment. When I got to the Steelers, I was getting like $750 a week at that point as well, but this was for all-season training. So this is, pre- this is the whole workout season from February all the way up until – all the way up until about June, May, June, when you go to OTAs, right? So that during that time it was like seven fifty dollars a week. Again, they're paying for hotel, they're paying for two meals a day, if not more, at the at the cafeteria at the stadium. They're paying for um commute to and from the facilities. Luckily, our facility was right there by um the Rooney complex. So it was a walking distance. Um, but that's about it. So like you get you get paid each and every mini camp, but it's just not that paycheck. You get that paycheck. That big paycheck that people see on TV, that hundred million dollar contract, that only hits come week one of the of the regular season, right? So a lot of these bigger name guys they're getting the same money I'm getting for preseason pay because that's the league standard, right? But then when the season starts, week one through sixteen, and if not more, throughout playoffs, that's when you really see that your actual salary divvied up into the one sixteenth or one seventeenth or whatever the case is for how many games you play that season.
0: Oh wow, interesting, man. I mean, I guess that's a lot better than I actually thought. And I think that's a lot better than what people think in regards to the camp side of things, but you're still putting your body through a lot. Um, so that's kind of tough. I remember I talked to, uh, Chris Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski's little brother who, uh, didn't have the same career as Rob, but Chris did play in the NFL. He, he made his, like he made it through, I think his fourth con or fourth season. So he was able to get the retirement from the NFL and, and whatnot. But, uh, it was kind of a – he. that's all he was trying to do. At, at that point, he had realized it was a business. He wasn't going to be making a long career out of it. And he was like, I just got to make it to my – got to get past a certain amount of time, and then I can get there. And once he got it, because he got hurt right before it and they still signed him, um, he was like, okay, I think I'm good to go. <laughs> so it's always but, like a – it's like a numbers game. It's like a business, right? Trying to – And that's this
1: is exactly what it is, though, Saying Like a lot of people – they think you should just play play football, t- play football, sorry, until you're done and you can just die. Right. No, like for me, if you got to know your, your avenue, I'm sure I don't know Chris Kronkowski from anything, but I'm sure he understood that his career was not robbed. His career was not the best player in his position and his his stock as a player probably wasn't the, the greatest. Right? right. So he understood, look, my clock is ticking. So I've got four years to get to my pension so the NFL can pay me. What is it? Fifty four hundred dollars a month or something before tax yeah, I'm doing that. I'm going to do whatever I can to do that. I'll risk my body, everything I can, because that's $5,400 a month coming in residual when I'm done playing ball. So now if I'm smart enough as an athlete and as a person, and I have a good team on my side, I can now parlay that money into investments, into providing for my family and schooling and education for my kids and things like that. Right. So a lot of people got to understand like, when you play ball, it's it's no longer about passion. It's a business. It's how can I pay my bills? How can I survive when the game is done? And that's how a lot of the biggest and best players that are done playing the ball, that's how they see the biggest results after they're done, right? They don't just spend their money frivolously on dumb shit. They save that money and they understand a the game plan that they have in path for themselves. So that was more on his side.
0: That's, that's so it's so good to talk about too because that 30 for 30 documentary broke. If you ever remember that, it was like one of the very first seasons. Uh, that actually opened my eyes to the um, – I don't want to call it stupidity. I can call it ignorance um, of, of c- certain athletes who just didn't know how to control their money. They didn't know what to do when they got money. Now, part of me actually thinks that there's, obviously they need to take ownership on that, but you know, there's certain rules, or there used to be at least, like you couldn't work, if you had a full ride scholarship, like you're Cam Newton, You couldn't you couldn't work a job while you were, in college technically right so you weren't right. supposed to be receiving any sort of money in any shape or form if, if you had a full ride scholarship therefore he didn't even know how to cash a check so his signing bonus he, he claims he didn't even know how to cash a check he didn't have a bank account so i do i do believe like there are some things that could prepare these athletes a little bit better for their future um but i think they're getting a little bit better now with the nil stuff if they can actually educate these athletes at a younger age i don't know how much education is actually being done though but going back to your career darnell you're you had the opportunity to play in the AAF as well as the CFL and the XFL. Now it's interesting when the AAF came out, I'm a, I'm a football fan, right? So I'm a sports fan. I, I enjoy sports. I love seeing athletes have a chance. Football is one of those weird sports basketball. You've got like professional ball overseas. You've got the G league. You've got a, you've got a million opportunities to make some decent cash flow wherever you're going now, like you can go overseas. Baseball is the same way. Like you can go overseas and play. If you want to soccer, you can go overseas. And that's where it actually, the money is, is overseas. So it's like every sport has these opportunities, but it seemed like football just doesn't. It's weird. It's like the America's best sport. Like it's like the brings in all the revenue, but then there's fewer opportunities at the professional level than pretty much every other sport. So when the AAF came out, I was like, dude, this is sick. Like, I I actually liked it. There was a lot of people like, oh, this is so stupid. I want athletes to have another chance. There's a lot of high level athletes that still want to play. When you got to the AAF before it folded, what was your experience there? I just want to know, like, what the experience was at the AAF before the other stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the AAF, and you're completely right, man. Every every other sport does have an avenue to make money outside of the states, and it's jacked up that football being our one of our biggest sports here is not really seen overseas as much but um with the AAF man it was that was a top tier experience I'm not gonna lie that was it was a fun time mainly because the pay was awesome right so again I love football with all my life I'll play every snap over if I could again but when you start to make money and you can pay for your bills and provide for your family it, it makes everything 10 times better so that was my first gig actually playing a full season right it was only eight weeks because it got cut short but I was able to play a full eight weeks with the Commanders Right, had some decent film, was able to make some money, and was able to provide for myself. And and for me, the AAF was cool because, like you mentioned, mainly me being a guy who came from a smaller one AA school. I didn't have a lot of coaches coming to get me from college. Wasn't really highly recruited coming out of college by scouts and stuff. So I had to really make a name for myself. And with the AAF, that's literally what that was. They prefaced everything they said to us by, "We don't want you to stay in this league for three, four years at a time. We want you to leverage this league." to get film, to get back into your dream of playing in the NFL, if that's your dream, right? And so they did a great job at that because after that season, there was a lot of guys, including myself, that was able to sign at least practice squad in mini camp roster spots with NFL teams, which was our goal, right? To leverage the AAF, use that to parlay it into our main objective, getting back into the dream of playing in the NFL. So AAF is awesome. XFL is also awesome, awesome. And um, I would encourage any player that still has the passion to play football, or whatever sport that you can play. If there's a B-League, C-League, D-League, G-League, whatever it is, play that sport as long as the rules fall off and you can provide for yourself, right? That's the main thing. As long as you can get paid and provide for you and your family, play that game as long as you can.
0: So cool, man. So... If you're going to compare, I remember when the AAF folded and it was kind of weird. There was a lot of stories of like, Hey, like they just said, we're done. Like, yeah. did you, did you have a, an experience like that? Can you tell us from your perspective, what it was like the day that it folded? Did you hear from it on TV or did you go to the, were you one of them that went to the practice facility and it was like, Hey, we're done.
1: It was Shane. We were, um, we were mid-practice dude. We were mid-practice and I was with the commander. So our GM was Dill Johnson from the Cowboys. He played yeah. for the Cowboys way back. He was our GM and there was like rumors and there was guys on the sideline that hadn't been practicing. So they were like on their phone looking at Twitter. And one of my teammates came up to me, and was like, yo, bro, look at this, like mid practice. And I'm looking at his phone, like trying not to get in trouble. And it says XFL just folded. And I'm like folded, not XFL, AAF just folded. And I'm like folded, but we're like mid practice. Like I'm about to go in and two reps to get my, my stuff done, my phone done. And, Lo and behold, like a minute after that, the GM literally comes in between us doing our our nine on nine practice, picks up the football and calls everybody in. And so from that moment, I was like, yeah, it's real league folded. And even before then, we had heard like a few rumors about, um, you know, what's going on with the league and the finances when it comes to the owners and and what they had going on with the investments from their parties and things like that. Um, So there's just a lot of shady business that had happened. And um, from our perspective as players, we were just we're to keep playing the game until we weren't getting paid no more, um, and so when Joe came out, picked the ball up, and told us, you know, what the the status of the league was, we all just kind of packed up our stuff, and they gave us about, I think, two or three days um, where they paid for our flights and allowed us to go to anywhere we needed to go to to, to finalize everything that we had to do. So I flew back home to Maryland. Um, a lot of other guys they flew back home to their hometown, obviously, but that was that was it after week eight.
0: Oh, dude, that's. Uh, so it was real life, man. That that's they weren't just stories, man. That's crazy. Yes. Oh man, that's like, I mean, it happens in a lot of industries where it's like, hey, we're laying you off, basically, but like that's a weird one to go down like that. Like you're hearing about it and you're not sure, you're in the middle of practice, I'm crying out loud. Um, so the XFL. I've talked to one guy who actually was a kicker uh, for Boise State who played in the XFL. Sure.
1: Oh, I think you broke up a little bit. Hey, you there. You hear me? Yeah, got some more technical difficulties.
0: Jeez, Luis. Let's
1: see. I can see you. There you go.
0: So frustrating. It'll probably glitch out a few more times. I'm checking the, the stability of this my speed's going just fine. It's just the wifi. <clears throat> um, the XFL, if I can get through this question, um, the XFL, a uh, similar situation in the first year that it was being ran. I mean, it comes in, then COVID happens. I mean, it was a little different situation as COVID happened and kind of like screwed everything up. But the one person I spoke to that played in the XFL, he was a kicker for Boise state, Tyler Rasa. And he talked yeah. about like, he loved the XFL. Like he loved the, the whole process of it. And, thought it was a great experience and he said it felt like a professional league. They, they handled it very professionally. It didn't feel like a, he said to him, it didn't feel like a junior varsity team or anything like it was awesome. People were taking it very seriously. Did you have a similar experience in the XFL where it was a pretty solid positive?
1: Yeah. I mean, and it was the same thing with the AF to be honest. It, it didn't feel sub tier to the NFL at all. Right. Again, you're getting meals paid for you are getting money in your pocket and you're getting transportation taken care of, you're getting body treatment taken care of by the team. So everything that you need to be a great player, in the top of your game is getting taken care of. So in that stance, it doesn't feel like you're sub-tier. Obviously, you're not playing at at t Stadium and FedEx Field and things like that. But when it comes to operations, XFL was spot on. It was prime. And the reason for that was they took a lot of the personnel from the head offices and front offices from these teams and the league itself and put them in place into these other XFL teams. So the the player personnel guy that took me and signed me to the AAF team in um, in San Antonio, was the same personnel player, that personnel player guy that called me up in the office and said, hey, Darnell, you know, you're a free agent, XFL's coming back around, and now I'm with the New York Guardians. Do you want to still play football? Like, hell yeah, I going to play. So it's it was things like that to where they 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 strategically took people that already knew the infrastructure, knew the business, knew the Spring League setup and format, and they, they prepped and primed it to make it better than the AAF, which it, it should have been, and it was in a sense. So um, he was spot on. It was very professional, very top tier. Um, and if I was still playing ball, I would have no problem going back to playing for my old team just because of how the organization was ran and how the league was ran as, as a whole.
0: So cool, man. See, this is why I wish more people would listen to the people that were there. So saying, like, oh, it's the XFL, it's going to flop. Well, dude, rather than looking at the negatives, it flopped because of COVID, dude. It, I actually felt like the XFL could have sustained had it not had to go through the stupid pandemic situation that a lot of businesses had to go through because I thought you guys were putting out a really good product. And yeah people don't realize how much it costs to run a business especially one like that when you're competing with the NFL it's monopolized every single thing in the sport of football and i did think the XFL had a pretty good setup with the NFL and that's what i think the USFL and then and the new XFL coming out like they've done that the NFL is allowing a little bit more leeway in regards to contracts and so forth because before they were pretty strict on it's it like if you're on you can't come here to mini camp if you're playing here da, 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 or you can't play Like, and that's hard because guys can't get professional reps. You can't get reps in a game time situation if you're not competing in a game time situation. So it's very hard for athletes. So I think the NFL is starting to get a little bit more leeway. And I think that those, you know, other leagues are a great opportunity to like, now we can, we can sustain and we can, we can push through. Now I want to ask you about the CFL. This is everyone's like, what the heck? So you play the AAF, the XFL and the CFL. So up in Canada. Canada's is a little bit different game, uh, but there are some good players up there. There are some talented athletes up there. I mean, I talked to Sean Oakman, who used to play for Baylor. He was on my show and he, he's playing up there now, or he was uh, yeah. trying to make a comeback after after his situation went down and he finally was a freed man. And now he's coming back trying to make himself a name. But he talked about the CFL, you know, and 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 you know, there were some good things, some bad things to say up there. What was your experience like in the CFL? Because the pay up there... I, to me it just doesn't feel like it's worth maybe it is maybe you can uh, you know correct me but it doesn't feel like it's as good for what you're putting your body through you're putting your body through a lot of turmoil to compete and it just doesn't seem like it's as much but, but i could be wrong so i just like want to hear your your side to it
1: no and for sure and that's that's the that's the thing right there is like pay and worth is very subjective right like it's it's up to you because like to you a hundred thousand could be a lot to me 100,000 could be very, not a lot, just depending on our lifestyle what we have going on in our, in our personal lives that need financing. For me personally, Canada wasn't it. Um, again, great opportunity, just like the AAF, great opportunity, just like the XFL, right? An opportunity to go out and play football, the game you love, get film, um, build the camaraderie with your teammates, network with different agents and coaches and players, and all the intangibles of football are great in Canada. When it comes down to the pay and providing for yourself, again, it's subjective. So. For me, as a young guy, first out of college, no kids, really no house. I was living at home with my mom and dad. Yeah, the $700 a week really wasn't bad. Canadian um, practice squad. The thing is, though, that's also getting taxed. So that's $700 pre tax Canada and then pre-tax U.S. federal tax, right? So it's you get home and you're looking at that paycheck and you do your conversion rate and you're like, where the hell did all my money go? <laughs> Right. So that's the thing for me. And I'm like, yeah, maybe Canada really isn't where I want to stay at. If I want to go there for a year and get some film. Awesome. But for me, my mindset was like, I don't want to be one of those guys that get pinholed into being in Canada for two, three, four years at a time. Because now I know my my worth with the NFL is one going down, because the longer you're out of the NFL, the longer they the, the quicker they forget about you One, So your goal, if you want to play football in the league, in the NFL should not be go to Canada and live there and, and live cheap and don't do that. Right get your film and get out, go back to the league, get your money, get on primetime TV. Um, So for me, Canada was great. It was a great opportunity, great experience to be out there in a new world. I've never been to Canada besides playing out in Canada. So that was awesome. I'm grateful for that. Um, The pay though really wasn't it. So even even if you look at a guy that's active roster, I think when I was playing back in 2018, 2019 in Canada, the the rookie minimum, which is what I was as a rookie in Canada, just because I I'd, I'd never played in Canada ball. You could spend five years in the NFL and play one year in Canada, and you'll be a rookie, and you have to sign to that rookie contract for sixty five oh, thousand dollars. It's it was something something crazy like that. It was like fifty five or sixty five thousand when I was out there. um And again, that's pre tax and that's pre U S federal tax, right? So you still have the conversion rate. And you still have to pay taxes when you get back home into America. So you're looking at like dude maybe. 35 dollars $40,000 after your season is done if you don't spend a single dollar, which is unrealistic. Um, and so for me, what I value my body as, I know I'm not the biggest, fastest, strongest player out there in the world, but I know my worth. I know that my brain is way worth is worth way more than $40,000 a year to play football, right? When We all know the outcome, right? There's a lot of players that go through CTE, have long-term injuries when it comes to mental health, physical health, back health, neck health, things like that. So when you factor in all those ways in which you need to be leveraging your body that money just it didn't add up for me and so again to every player it could be a little different um like I said some guys are cool with making 60,000 a year coming home you know I'm just chilling hanging out for the all season. me that wasn't the case I'm a very high level big thinker so I'm thinking 30 40 years down the line is playing in Canada for the next five years screwing up my body not screwing up my body but you know going through the regular
0: uh-huh.
1: dings and dinks that you go through playing football right is it worth me playing here for five to 10 years, which I probably could have done, is it worth my health and is it worth the money that I'm going to receive? To me, no. I can use that money, use my education and receive three times that at a nine to five and invest that money into something else that can catapult my life and my family's life way beyond playing in Canada. Could have. So it's a leverage game. You got to understand your worth. You got to understand what what is really important to you and what you value as a player and as a person.
0: So insightful, man. That's the kind of stuff that I want to hear because I don't think people think about that. from The the, the general public doesn't, I should say. I'm sure other athletes do, but the general public doesn't really think about those things and what goes into it. So as we're wrapping it up, Darnell, out of your professional experience, the NFL, the XFL, the AAF, the CFL, what was your favorite professional football memory that you had? Oh,
1: man. Ooh, favorite professional memory. Yeah. Um, I'd probably say in Dallas, man. Like everything about Dallas was awesome. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Dallas was like, it's a fun city to be in. We didn't, although we didn't live in Dallas, we lived in um Fort Worth, Texas. Um, it was still a lively city. We were 30 minutes from uh Arlington, 20 minutes from downtown Dallas. Um, so it was just a great overall place to be. And off the top of my head, I'll say the my favorite experience was um the first day of OTAs when we were in Oxnard, California. Um, Obviously, we all know Jason Witten, Tony Romo, Dez Bryant, all the the bigger names that we all kind of grew up with watching and playing on Madden, right? For me, I got to sit, I got to stand next to and do stretch lines next to Jason Witten each and every day, dude. And for me, that was awesome just because he's a guy that I looked up to, not just as a great Hall of Fame player, but also as a man, dude. Like when you talk to Jason Witten, you know, he's about business. He's very even keel, very... Um, Low key, very not soft spoken, but he's not like a very demonstrative type of person. Um, So just being able to talk to him throughout the stretch lines and understand, you know, how he developed and then went through that, went through his career being what, 15 years deep. Like that was awesome for me. And that was one of the intangible things that I mentioned earlier that I wouldn't trade for anything. Like I would do that all over again just to sit and talk to somebody who's on that that kind of um, stage of being a professional athlete. Right. Not just a football player, but an athlete. The man understands routine, he understands rigor, discipline, what it takes to be great because he was great. So for me, that was an awesome experience because that's somebody that again I played with in Madden and I would throw bombs up in Madden to him all the time and stuff like that. So he would, that was just awesome for me. That was one of the one of the few starstruck moments I've ever had playing professional football. So that was cool.
0: That's so sick. I played with them in Madden. That's so cool. Cause I would understand that. That's why like I'm as a fan myself, like and I'm a Cowboys fan, so naturally, like that would make me excited too. It's cool, like playing with somebody in Madden and then getting to meet them in person and see how they are. You know, Darnell, what would you say is the biggest life lesson that football taught you now that you're out and you you, you know you're not playing ball anymore professionally and you're on to the you know the business life? Um what's the biggest life lesson to taught
1: you? Um I'll say the biggest life lesson football taught me was just the mindset of like determination, grit, um, overcoming adversity, those small things that we take for granted and we don't really strengthen. Like all that, all the stuff I just mentioned, they're all muscles, right? You have to actively go through those uncomfortable things in life to grow. And I think football put me in that state each and every day, right? Whether again, if it was waking up early for practice, if it was being tired and having to go do a mandatory workout, or if it was, you know, being hungry and, and having to stay late to watch film instead of going to the dining hall and eating. Right. Things like that is what made me the man I am today and what I'm gonna instill in my kids growing up so that they can do the same thing for their kids, hopefully. So the biggest thing that football's taught me was just, you know, just how to be a man, I think. Um, and not just on the field to be that tough, big broncho type guy, but the mental aspect of it, right? How to be mentally tough, how to be a man, how to, you know be discerning how to have, you know, confidence in yourself, how to be, how to have good time management, just all the small intangibles football taught me are all the things that I'm taking into my nine to five life, into my personal business of real estate and so on, even with my family. So forever grateful for it.
0: Heck yeah, man. You mentioned real estate. Tell us real quick as we're, you know, we want to know what you're up to nowadays. You know, you hung up the cleats a little bit or, you know, put up the shoulder pads took them off. What are you doing nowadays, Darnell?
1: Yeah, so I'm in I'm in real estate. I'm a full-time investor and I work full-time in IT nine to five um, as an IT consultant. Um, so for me, real estate is a passion of mine that I developed and I, I grew from playing in Canada. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like most other real estate investors, and it just kind of took me from there and then changed my mentality on money itself, how to spend money, how to use money, how to leverage money, and things of that nature. And so when I found real estate and I got my first deal done, I was like, Yeah, this is this is real. And even all the same things we just talked about, like the determination the grit, the um the overcoming adversity. Those are all things that relate to real estate. You know, whether if I'm talking to a seller trying to get their property, or if I'm talking to a lender trying to, you know, negotiate the best terms for my deal. All those type of things play a part in what I got from football. Um so yeah, that's what I'm into right now. Real estate, I'm going long term on long term buying whole type guy. Um, I'll do occasional fix and flips here, here and there. I've never done a wholesale deal before. Um but just trying to build up my portfolio one year at a time and, and just take it long game.
0: So awesome. If you guys haven't read rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki, you guys should phenomenal book. Um, it's interesting. I, I that's why I relate to you so well. I feel like it, cause like you're working in it full time. You're doing this as well. You know, I work full time for a company called click funnels. I'm a project manager to, and we work with entrepreneurs all day long and, I do this and it's also full-time for me, but I didn't just like my passion that I've been doing. I've been doing it for six years, but like I enjoy doing the other stuff. It's always important. Like if you're working a nine to five, leverage that, like leverage that, like their skills and and their stability there too, but you can also be doing the other things that can help you out as well. And I think it's awesome that you're doing them both. Um, You're able to do both of those things. And I think a lot of it comes from your sports background, just being organized and structured and being able to be disciplined and be able to focus on all those things. I think it's rad. So Darnell, where can we follow you at, man? Like what's your social media handles that we can put in the description of this podcast?
1: Yeah, so I'm on all social media platforms right now. Facebook, you can find me on Facebook at Darnell Leslie. That's my actual government name. Um, On all all my other handles, like TikTok, I'm Darnell Jamar underscore. That's my first middle name. Twitter, Darnell Jamar underscore, and Instagram, shoot me a DM, Darnell Jamar 2 underscore.
0: All right. I'm putting this here on the description. I was just taking notes there. I will make sure that if, if like people are probably going to want to follow you now because they're going to be like, oh, this is pretty cool. They'll get to see kind of more of your, your real life stuff and, and whatnot. So I'm going to put those links here in the description. So those who are listening, make sure to click on those, whichever platform you want to follow them on or all of them, please do so. And I just want to say thanks, Darnell, for for joining me and being willing to share your story today and like educating us all on what it's like to be an athlete at the the top level, so that we can kind of see the the behind the scenes, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I appreciate you, man, and hopefully uh, we can talk in the future. All right, man.
1: Yeah, sure thing, Shane. And I appreciate you having me on. Just give me some time to you know just shed some light inside on what actually goes on in, in the the life of a journeyman in the league. Um, so I appreciate your time. And you having me on, man. And I honestly, I'm an entrepreneur, as you know. And I've been looking into ClickFunnels, so we'll can probably uh, we we'll talk about that a little off air.
0: Hey, yeah, you hit me up and let me know what, what questions you got, brother. And uh, that goes for anybody, too. If you guys ever have any questions, let me know that now that we're recording that. But for all those who are listening, hopefully you enjoyed it. If this is your first time listening, because maybe you know Darnell and you, you wanted to listen to the episode, all I ask, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you thought about it so we can get this out to more people. The more reviews we get on Apple Podcasts, the more it gets out to more people. That's how we grow the show. And I'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care.